Hi and welcome back to the 6th episode of Attention Please podcast with Arnab Ray on the Talking Stuff Network. Getting out of the way as quickly as I can. This is Vikram Mohan and welcome back Arnab. The floor is all yours. Thank you for having me back. You as well as the listeners. Uh there was a lot of feedback uh from last week's uh, podcast. Uh, mostly good. One was bad. Uh one one said that this was a horrible this was a horrible episode, but as I said in my first podcast, I'm I'm used to this kind of feedback coming after you know about a few whatever you do like for instance in my blog after the first year i kept on hearing that the standard of my blog had gone down and that was about 13 years ago so this is all par for the course i appreciate your feedback um so you know keep it going i love to hear from you uh, on twitter on facebook on email uh, we do, we do this for you and nothing nothing matters more than to get your feedback you know bad 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 is good good is good what's bad is indifference that's the real enemy uh so i um moving on to the new patrons again for those of you who don't know who are listening to this podcast for the first time uh we appreciate uh, a monthly donation what the donation is is totally up to you our donation started $1 a month so we are really really cheap uh so again this podcast is always going to be free there's not going to be any hidden features i'm not going to post a teaser video uh and then ask you to pay money to see the full video and you know who i'm talking about so that those kinds of things are not going to happen uh with me uh this is just purely a a a monthly contribution is purely voluntary it exists as a kind of validation i've said this before nothing shows that you appreciate the show more than paying for it there's also the other thing that uh if you don't pay for something then somebody else is paying for it so i again it's not that i'm going to have corporate sponsors so that really doesn't make sense in this in this context but again contributions are appreciated and i would like to thank shosaurav uh who this week you know he contributed at the highest level so really really thank you i have again the the category is i don't know why you're contributing this much so thank you saurav and why are you contributing this much uh okay so uh let's start with our first section which this actually happened so i'll start with the cricket match again uh this is this has been recorded after the second day so i have no idea was i mean by the time you hear this uh the test match might already have been decided i don't think so because you would be hearing this about 24 hours from now uh but i guess it it would be a place in which you would perhaps know who's going to win uh if if i think that england paradoxically even though we have we have about how much 25 runs lead i think england is in the much better position right now because india will have to bat fourth on that pitch and that pitch looks like it's breaking up on the rough and it's also swinging which means that there is no respite uh i i i the only thing is that i don't think england has a great spinner again we we just can't seem to be able to play moin ali for 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 god knows what reason so he, they don't have a gram swan this time who was it was of course a, a class above uh i would hope that if india is about you know is given about 150 to win on the fourth fourth innings i think they can possibly do it but anything above 200 on this track on the fourth innings is going to be really really Tough to to do unless of course uh, Kohli plays a blinder because I don't think anybody other than Kohli is going to be able to you know really stand and bat out about two hundred runs on this pitch. I think you know I'm just making some predictions. I think Pujara is going to last along. I mean of course the law of average is going to work against him after this brilliant first innings. But even if he says he's not going to score a lot of runs, that's that's my prediction. He's going to stay for some time. uh my faith is totally on kohli if if kohli does it we win otherwise the series goes this is definitely a match which is going to have a result moving on uh rahul gandhi recently made uh recently made a comment uh, again i just don't understand what his deal with with the 1984 riots is because a few years ago if you remember vikram uh, manmohan singh apologized for yep for the 1984 riots i think it's it's the height of irony that the congress would make the sick guy apologize for anti sick riots while themselves saying we had absolutely nothing to do with it given that the person who actually had nothing to do with it was dr manmohan singh uh, i'm not saying that raga had anything to do with it he was 13 years old at that time but it's it's very obvious that this the 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 reason why this riot happened 
was because of the Congress and because of the Gandhi family. This is specifically not a religious right. It's a Gandhi family right. So as I've said before, the Gandhi family is a religion. And this is basically Sikhs versus the Gandhi family. That, that's all it was. And for the Congress, you know, the reason why 1984 is still relevant is because it's not because of the Congress. It's because the Gandhi family is still in power. If the if the if the Gandhi family was not still leading the Congress and having such a such a vice like serpent like hold on the party, it wouldn't be relevant anymore. But it does, and the people who still run on it, they, they, their main achievement is harking back to Indira Gandhi. They still want to appropriate that legacy, which is fine. But they also have to then owe up to the other things about the legacy. They just can't wash their hands away. And for the Congress, the culpability, and everybody knows that the Congress was culpable. And anybody who was there, whoever saw it, it's just so obvious again. And we'll come to that. In India, nothing really happens for powerful people. That, that's true. Uh, but to kind of bring it up and say the Congress isn't responsible for it, just kind of winds back everything that they did. And it was creditable for them to apologize Again, they got the other guy to apologize. They should have apologized themselves. But for him to do this and to just basically roll back everything Dr. Manmohan Singh said and to kind of embarrass him, I mean, as, as if they haven't embarrassed him enough, uh, for them to do this, it just goes to show that despite multiple headlines of Rahul Gandhi having arrived, of Rahul Gandhi being a viable choice for the prime ministership, he's, you know, he's he's still he's still not there. He's... He, he just doesn't have it in him. I honestly, and I'm, I'm, you know, there's a there's a possibility that he could be the next prime minister. And I sincerely hope he isn't. I mean, if not Modi, then at least somebody else who's not who's not this callow. I would say uh, it, it's not just a question of. I mean, n- honestly, 1984 isn't at this point of time really in the news. I mean, there's so many other things which are going on, and Rahul Gandhi made sure in the worst way possible, that it comes back in the news, where he, all he had to do was just say, you know what, we've apologized for it, let's move on. That's all he had to say. He did not have to double down and undo everything that they had done and, again, make it an issue when the Modi government is obviously struggling with so many other issues of its own. The Modi government would love 1984 to become the headline news. And guess what? Rahul Gandhi made it exactly that. All right, Vikram. So now let's move on to the main story today. Yeah, the what song contest though this week, I think we'll have to wait till after the feature story. Is that a hint? I'm not sure about that. But uh, the feature story is, of course, we've got, it's been a really big news week. And I think Arnab, you're going to tell us if we are anti-national. Yes, yes. So I, so this has been, you know, if last week was a little bit on the slow side, which almost, almost always never happens, but it was kind of. Uh, this week was just explosive. There was just too much news. I mean, fascism is here. It's finally here. We've been hearing about fascism, that fascism is coming, fascism is coming, fascism is coming. But now, finally, it's here. I mean, we have hit the thin end of the wedge. And I'm referring to Amisha Patel being called an auntie. I was shocked to see the headlines which said that Amisha Patel posted a hot pic. By the way, I have not seen this hot pic. um, And that she was called auntie by the trolls. I mean, this is it. I mean, we've already had a book called I Am A Troll. And trolling is a big problem. In the trolls, I've been told, are like the SS of the Hindu, Hindu Nazi fascists. And I think this is this is the last line. I mean, they have decided to go ahead and call Amisha Patel, Amisha Patel and auntie. I mean, this is, I'm aghast. I'm shocked. I don't know how you feel, Vikram, but I think this is it. I mean, after this, we need the UN key peacekeeping forces here. Okay. And, you know, I, I expressed my shock in social media and I was even more shocked to learn. And I'm not, not shocked. I was pleasantly happy to learn that she's been now chosen as the brand ambassador for Kaimchun. Because as you know, I mean, she's as gas is the country's biggest enemy. We, we, we all know that. And it's, it's, it's perfectly, I would say, again, whether she's on, it, it's nobody's business if she's an auntie. Um, I remember, I mean, what does her age have anything to do with? And plus it's Amisha Patel. I mean, we cannot criticize any more Patels 
or Hardik Patel will have our case, right? You can't do that. Uh, I don't know, Vikram, but do you remember the last time Amisha Patel was in the news? Uh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Anti-national. She was called anti-national. This is, this is very germane this week, as you know. Anti-national is big in this, this week. And there's nobody and nobody, you know, to accuse Amisha Patel of being anti-national. So those of you who, who have been keeping your head in the sand, uh, about a year or so ago, I might be a little inexact. I don't, I don't want Pratik Sinha to again, you know, have an alt news. Oh, this didn't happen one year ago. So maybe it was a year ago. Maybe it was a few months ago. But Amisha Patel, you know, was accused of being anti-national because she did not stand up for the tricolor in a movie. Okay. Now other people, other lesser individuals would have said, you know, that's my choice, or I don't think I need to do that, or it's a freedom of expression thing. But she on Twitter and a quote said it was because of her monthly girly problem. And I don't think anybody wanted to know, but she said it was because of a monthly girly problem and it would have caused a blood flow on the theater ground. Of course, speculations, of course, remain how she even got to the seat. But ultimately, I think we should, it, it's <laughs> again, it's, it's another issue. Should we stand up for the national flag or not? Does that constitute being an anti-national? But we will leave that for another day, okay? Because which brings us to the second story of today, which is the supposed arrests of a whole set of anti-nationals or as they are as they are known nowadays as urban Naxals. Now, I, for instance, have a little bit of a problem with the label urban Naxals. First of all, it's a very convenient label. And I think... I think one of the problems in today's world is we tend to put labels on rather on a rather heterogeneous collection of opinions. So, and and that happens from all sides. For instance, you know, Hindu right wing people are called bhakts. And not everybody who's right wing and first you know isn't a bhakt. They're not BJP supporters. They're not paid trolls. So any label that you put on a fairly heterogeneous and broad political opinion is bound to be pejorative and it's bound to be an oversimplification. I think urban Naxals is also like that. Anybody nowadays who disagrees with the present government, uh, who says things which would be called socially liberal, is often called an urban Naxal by people. It's it's just like calling anybody who supports Modi a bhakt. I mean, there's not support Modi on everything, but support Modi on anything. If there exists any issue on which you are aligned with the present government, you're a bhakt. It doesn't matter if you don't agree on the N minus one issues. It doesn't matter anymore. So for me, the whole urban Naxal is somewhat like that. But of course, this is this is fairly serious what has happened. For those of you who don't know, there were you know several prominent, uh, depending on who you ask, human rights activists versus urban Naxals who were arrested by the government. Um, so I basically have three questions. So this, this whole problem, I look at it in, in three ways. First of all, who are Naxals and what do they really want? So the moment you hear the word Naxals, you think of armed men and women in military fatigues, marching in jungles, uh, killing people. And... Yes, they are Naxals, but they're really the foot soldiers of Naxalism. They're the guys who do the heavy lifting. They're the guys who die. They are they're really the weapons for another set of people who you will not see uh, holding guns. And that, that happens for uh, terrorists. Uh, that happens for terrorist organizations all over the world. I mean, the Osamas of the world, they, they don't really fight. Uh, they leave the fighting to other people to do. So it's the same thing with, with Naxals. So most people, they are not sympathetic to people with guns. They normally aren't, unless, of course, you're Arundhati Roy, in which case you call them Gandhians with guns. But she's a very special case. She's like Pandit Ajay Gautam, except if she, Ajay Gautam had won a booker. So <laughs> they... So, so I would like to keep the extremes. And one of, one of the problems with modern discourse is we like to kind of pounce on the extremes. When we don't like a point of opinion, we actually pounce on the extreme guy and use that person's opinion to color everybody else's. Because that's a very, very easy way to discredit that those things which you don't really have a solid argument against. So you basically pounce upon the craziest guy on the extreme and say, oh, okay, look, 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 look how stupid he is. Ergo, everybody else around him is stupid. That's not true. 
again, I, I, I'm not saying I don't do that sometimes because it is convenient, but it's not a good thing to do. I'll, I will acknowledge that. So, um, again, not every, I mean, very few people would, would support that kind of violence. Some people do. I mean, it's not just Arundhati Roy. I saw uh, a, a, a tweet uh, from someone which said that uh, violence by the state cannot be compared with the violence of the oppressed. So again, this is, you can, you anybody can consider themselves to be oppressed. So that's the problem with this. Islamic terrorists could consider themselves to be oppressed. Sanatang Sangstan could consider, consider themselves to be oppressed. Everybody considers themselves to be oppressed. Nobody who engages in violence ever thinks that they are being aggressor. Not pretty people don't. They feel that they're doing it in reaction to something. So they're the ones who are oppressed. So the moment you start making these fine level granulation, you know, this kind of distinction, that's really supporting violence. There's, 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 no, no, there's no better way of putting this. You're supporting violence as long as your side does it. That's it. The other side, we are the oppressed. The other side is the oppressor. So it's okay. Violence on them is fine. Violence on us is violence. That's supporting violence. Uh, so again, I don't think that that's a prevalent opinion. I think that even those who are left liberal, even those who are very left, they still don't support. I would like to think they don't support, but I'm not sure. If you if you look at the history of the Naxal movement in India, what what actually do they want? And this is not me saying this. This is this is what the books on if this is what Charu Majumdar and the people who actually started the Naxal movement, the ideologues of of the Naxal movement, said. The idea has of of extreme communism. If you, if you look at, I wouldn't even say this is extreme communism. This is literal communism. This is what communism says you should do: is that the nations, as you see, exist. The nations don't really exist according to communists. National boundaries are capitalist bourgeois constructs, apparently, in the Marxist view of history. Uh, And they exist so that the workers and the peasants tend to see other workers and peasants as their enemies. Rather than joining together with them and fighting the real oppressors, which are you. Yes, you. You are the oppressor. So in Bengal, there was a word called Sreni Shotru, which means enemy of the class. Remember my dad telling me that even presidency college, when, you know, the the people would go by, the students would would say Sreni Shotru, K, 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 A, 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 which is who's the Sreni Shotru? This, this, this. So the enemy of the people is identified. And and, and the commonality between fascism and Marxism is... It's it's so similar. It's not even funny. And th- what I find ironic is when the the Naxals call themselves anti-fascist front. Okay, these are the guys who are intellectual fountainhead allied with Hitler and would have fought the world war with him had Hitler not turned on him, and he killed more people than Hitler, incidentally, in his own country. So, you know, when 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 Marxists say they're against fascists, don't say anything. Turn your head and laugh. Coming back. So what do these Marxists want? Again, I call them literal Marxists because that's what their literature says. Now, again, do all Marxists believe that? Perhaps not. But if you are literal, that's what it is. The nation state, the nation state of India should not exist. So the notion of anti-nationalism is ingrained into the left movement. They do not recognize the boundaries of India. Now, if you if you read, and they, I have a book, I think it's, it's, it's right here, about the Naxal movement in India. The kind of literature that used to come in the 70s was used to come from China. Uh, they used to come from China. They used to come from Russia. They would, they would argue. So different parts of the Naxalite movement would argue should we have revolution now or should we have revolution later? Kind of reminding you of Austin Powers. Shall we shag now or shall we shag later? Revolution <laughs> was going to happen. Is the country ready for it now? So some people said, no, we first need to increase the revolutionary temper. We first need to arm the farmers. Some, some people said, no, we can't wait for them to be armed. We, we the, you know, the intellectuals, we need to take uh, the lead. 
And then some others would say, no, this is elitism. This is classism. We can't do it for them. They have to. We have to make them see. And then we have to stand back. The revolution, if we bring it, it's not going to be their revolution. So that's what they were fighting on. They were not fighting about whether we should dissolve the Indian state or not. Oh, they were all agreed on the fact that the Indian state needed to be dissolved. Remember, this, these people supported, at least some of them supported China when they fought against us. So, no, these people are not by any standards patriots in the way that people like to think. Now, for them, I understand in their own perception, they are patriots. And I, and I would even understand why they would call themselves patriots. They would say, I care for people. I don't care for boundaries. I've heard this. I've heard this from them. And I agree. Okay, that's that's a way of seeing it. I will agree with that. So coming back, there are the violent Naxals and they're those who kind of support the dissolution of the Indian state, but they're not willing to. So there are some people who are willing to pay for it, who are willing to organize the foot soldiers. And there are some people who are their enablers. So they are you know, basically armchair critics. They're a little afraid of the law. They have a lot to lose. They're not perhaps that indoctrinated or that selfless in a way. And so they kind of stay back and provide the support. This is well known. There's, there's nothing really novel about this. Everybody has known that, you know, there is there is the, there are centers of radical leftism in many of our universities. Now, the second question is, is it wrong to have this? Is, is, is it okay for people to want to dissolve the Indian state? And then that's a freedom of speech thing, right? I would, be, I would tend to agree. It's perfectly fine. Again, this is personally my opinion. The moment that an opinion becomes a call to action, that's where the law has to be involved. As long as it's an idea, it's fine. As long as it's your fantasy, there's nothing I can do about it. But... but Again, we're coming to what's happened now or what allegedly has happened. It's, it's gone beyond the sloganeering and the workshopping and the, and the making hot speeches under the bunion tree to actually having done something. So let's look at the people who are arrested. Okay. So my favorite person among those is, of course, Gautam Navlaka. One reason for that is, of course, is Navlaka occurs in two of my favorite songs. Okay. One is Mujhe Navlaka Mangadere O Sanya Diwane. And another is Dalunga Dalunga, Dalunga Dalunga, Navlaka Hartere Gale Me Dalunga. And I'm pretty sure, Vikram, that nobody has brought in this angle into a discussion of Naxalism ever in India. I am bowing to you right now. (laughs) Yes. This is why you should listen to this podcast because you are never going to link the Naxal movement to Amitabh Bachchan and Sharabi. I have done it right now, here. Uh, So coming back, so I like Gautam Navlaka and Gautam Navlaka, for those of you who may have forgotten, I mean, who is Gautam Navlaka? So Gautam Navlaka has a very specific agenda. He wants the independence of Kashmir. There's no two ways about it. (laughs) So Gautam Navlaka is, is, is this member of... He, he was involved with Gulam Nabi Fai, who, who, as many of you remember, was essentially a lobbyist in, in D.C., who, who was later found out to be in the pay of the ISI. And he organized several of these whining and dining trips, which our, you know, our intellectuals and human rights activists, of course, you know, you know of course, partook of his hospitality. According to, according to them, they didn't know who, whose hospitality they were taking. And, you know, I might be, I might agree, you know, how would they have known? Um, I mean, if somebody offers you, a, you know, a free ticket to the US, a business class ticket to the US, you know, free food, putting you up at a you know, good hotel. Yeah. Who's going to argue, right? I mean, even if you're a man of the people, I mean, there are limits to your, there are limits to your selflessness, right? I mean, even the even the Marxists used to live in these luxurious dashas in in, in Soviet Russia. I mean, they, they didn't skimp on the luxuries for themselves. So again, there's always a limit to. So they, 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 he was one of the people who kind of took the hospitality of of Mr. Fai, and so he's he's kind of been always been inclined to referendum, 
and again, I, I, I've always found this hilarious. How can you have a referendum in Kashmir when you got rid of all these people who were originally part of the referendum? You kick them out of the place and now you want a referendum. Of course, there's no referendum. The ref- any hope of referendum finished the day you decided to kick out Kashmiri pundits. That's it. That's the day. You know, you can't, <laughs> you can't have both. Okay, you can't, you can't decide. I will kick out the opposition candidate out. Anybody who supports the opposition, and then I'll have elections. No, it doesn't work like that. So he, he's, he's, he's that kind of a guy. Okay. Is he involved with Naxals? I don't know. He again, they all fly in the same circles. So if you, if you see some of those, you know the the kind of events which are organized in Delhi, and many of them are, you know, long stem champagne glasses, expensive shawls and bags. You would find Mr. Navlaka there. You would find many other fine denizens. You would find uh, Sargilani. Uh, of the of of the parliament attack, accused and then acquitted, you'd find all of them. They kind of hang around, you know, like a like a cozy clique of star kids, like Shahrukh Khan's son, and they, they always hang around. Um, so, God knows what they're doing. So, with Gautam Navlaka, I don't know whether whether the accusations that the government has made against him are true or not. What I find particularly interesting is the case of Sudha Bharadwaj. So if you ask me for my gut feeling, first of all, let's look at the, the arguments made as to why Sudha Bharadwaj is innocent. So she's been accused of, you know, quite a few things of the, of the Bhima Koregaon, which I, you know, kind of think could have been. But then there's that outrageous plot for assassination of Narendra Modi. That, I'll be honest with you, I find it a little bit difficult to believe. And I'll tell you the reasons why. First of all, Sudha Bharadwaj, again, it doesn't matter if she gave up her US citizenship or she's an IIT, she's a graduate from IIT. I don't know how this is germane to anything, but yet it is stressed again and again and again. I'm guessing if she had given up her citizenship in, you know, in Maldives and had studied in Jadavpur University, maybe it would have been different. I don't know, but... Apparently, this is supposed to, you know, she's an IIT. How could she have done this? I don't know, man. Um, I said in a tweet, I'm not saying she's Osama bin Laden, but even Osama bin Laden uh, did not have to leave the luxuries of royal life in Saudi. I mean, he could have lived a life of luxury. He could have spent all his life in, in, in Monaco and Paris, you know, living it up like his cousins. He decided not to do that. He decided to come to Afghanistan. You know, not the most happening of places while it was under Russian occupation and decide to fight the Russians. Now, using the same logic, yeah, it takes a special pride to do this. Does that make him, you know, does, does that absolve him of guilt? No, it doesn't. But you could say, you know, and people said, but Osama, but Osama came here to do violence. Well, you're saying that now. If you'd asked Osama, you would have said the exact same thing. I came here to fight for the oppressed people. Mm. And bingo, the violence of the oppressor is not the same as the violence of the oppressed. So he can use the exact same logic to justify himself. Again, I'm not saying she's Osama, but I'm just saying that this whole logic of taking in somebody's personal history as a way of absolving them of something, which they, again, might not have done, is just logically not founded. That's all. But Sudha Bharadwaj, given her history, it's very unlikely. It's very, I mean, again, she would definitely, she, 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 would, she would definitely be aligned with, I would say, caste warfare. All right. You know, victim of minorities. Sure. But just the plot, that letter, that letter that she allegedly has written, it just doesn't go with the person for, for several reasons. One is she's not that kind of a person. She's not, you know, a fire. She's a lawyer. Okay. A lawyer is unlikely just, just based on her being a lawyer. She's unlikely to write down like that. Something so inflammatory. If she was actually doing this and that is perhaps where her IIT background might be germane, she would figure out a smarter way to do it than just write a letter like that. Thirdly, 
let's assume that in a that extreme in, in, in extreme frustration at the marching of Hindu fascism and the fact that you know you cannot stop Narendra Modi's electoral march, she decided that something like this has to be done. She is smart enough to realize, you know, that assassinating Narendra Modi, assassinating the prime minister would absolutely hand over the election at that point over to, to the BJP. The sympathy would be too much. There's nothing they could demonetize again. Nothing. As it is, Narendra Modi is the most charismatic politician in this country. There is no two ways about it. To even think of that would effectively give BJP two elections without contest. 2019 and the next one. So it would be immense foolhardiness on her part and on the part of her supposed collaborators to even contemplate doing what they're accused of having done. Now, let's turn the argument around. Let's assume, and this is really the most, something which which worries me the most. Let's turn it around. Let's assume she's guilty. Here's my problem with this. I am absolutely sure that the government is not going to be able to prove it. As a matter of fact, our law enforcement authorities are so, so terrible that they are unable to prove anything. The only way they can prove something, they could, there was even, they couldn't prove the case against S.A.R. Gilani, okay? No other country would that be possible. They almost couldn't prove it against Afzal Guru, okay? This guy, they, they couldn't, they, they could, didn't even have a locked and shut case against Afzal Guru. The only person they had a case was against Ajmal Kasab because he was friggin' walking around with a gun and recorded on. We seem to have lost Arnab. He's dropped out momentarily. I wish uh, I had one of those old Durdashan style Rukavat Kele Khed hai signs. We'll try to get him back ASAP. Please bear with us. <laughs> Hi everybody! I got dropped off, and I, you know, it, this this happens to me a lot. I kept on talking, and I didn't even know that there was nobody listening. This this sounded exactly like you know being married. Uh, so I'm back, and so I'll, I'll try to resume where I left off. Uh, I, I kind of lost my train of thought here, but I, I think I'll pick it up. So what I was saying at, at at that point of time when I think I got cut off was that let's assume, let's assume. So first of all, I I argued that it is very unlikely that uh, the people, at least Sudha Bharadwaj, would be involved in a, in a plot to assassinate the prime minister because, you know, just to repeat, um, even thinking of doing that would essentially hand over this election and the next election over to the BJP. The sympathy wave would be so much that they could put in three demonetizations and two GSTs and they still wouldn't lose. But let's assume, and this is perhaps the most alarming thing, let's, let's turn it around and let's assume, maybe, she, what if she is guilty? The thing is that the law enforcement agencies that we have have been singularly unable uh, to prove, uh, to establish even the most open and shut cases, whether it be Sargilani, he walked. And remember, these people, you know, almost... So given, given and, and, and so the kind of reaction that I have seen so far, and I, I would be happy to be proven wrong, this looks like exactly one of those slapdash cases which, even if they are true, have been put together in a way that, that really is going to be thrown out by the court. They might win, they might win, might win in a district court, but they'll definitely, Supreme Court will throw it out. And you have to understand, these people, these people who you have decided to slap such serious charges on, they're not alone. I mean, they might seem to be powerless. They might seem to be working in the backwoods of Chhattisgarh, but they have powerful friends. And the speed, they have friends not only in the power, in the power halls of Delhi, in the, in the Supreme Court legal chambers. They have friends everywhere. They have friends in the embassies. They have friends in Sweden. They have friends in Norway. They have friends in the US. So if the government makes even one misstep, 
there will be hell to pay internationally. As it is, the drum beats have started. Arundhati Roy is here. You know, Hindu fascism has been firmly established. And again, I, I would be more than happy to be proven wrong. I have absolutely zero faith in the Indian police, given the given the different political pushes and pulls everywhere to be able to prove to be able to prove their case beyond reasonable doubt because again these people will have the best lawyers on their side the very best the bhushans the indira jay singhs the vrinda grovers they will have the best not just in terms of their legal acumen but also in terms of the influence and the authority they command uh the other side in the government prosecutor is going to you know is going to be nothing in in front of these guys until unless he has a rock solid case which this doesn't seem to be there's no chance of a conviction and if this doesn't get convicted if this is just yet another thing that gets laughed out by the court then this is an immense this is an immense i would say problem for the government because this is going to reverberate in the cha- in in the international chambers of power just because of these people okay it doesn't matter you know you, some people are saying sangs sanatan sangsta there was no you know hue and cry nobody said they were innocent it doesn't matter sangs they don't have that kind of support these people do just look at the speed at which Romila Thapar and all these people—they just mobilize support overnight for them. I mean, this is insane. I mean, people talk about Chennai Super King fans being like really prompt. This, this makes Chennai Super King fans look like Kings Eleven fans. I, I mean, honestly. And for the government, and some people are saying, "Well, at least this government has the balls to take them on." Hey, man, you can't take them on. The, taking them on in in a legal sphere means you have to have a rock solid case. and if it's indeed a plot to kill the prime minister if that's what if you know the the letter that arnab goswami keeps keeps throwing at the screen that's an nia thing i don't think that's a maharashtra police thing if if it indeed was what it is being made out to be so i see mismanagement all over the last few days and i'm really really skeptical as to what will ultimately happen So and you know what the biggest thing of the problem you know the biggest problem Vikram uh-huh the biggest problem in this case as i see is not so much hindu fascism which honestly i don't you know it's a bogey uh but the real problem that i see again is the absolute blighted nature of news channels i mean i see ndtv on one hand which refuses to even consider the fact that these people might be guilty their starting yep. point is that these are human rights activists who have been unfairly detained because they have spoken against corporate interests that's the narrative they are willing to brook no alternative narrative on the other hand the times now and the republics they've already proven beyond reasonable doubt that these people are have done terrible things and they are not willing to look at the other thing they, they start from guilt and these guys start from innocence so and the fact is there will be at the end of it absolutely divided no matter what happens the half people will believe they're innocent and half people will believe they're guilty because if you can't prove the case in court there's always a conspiracy on the other end and if you prove it it's like well we told you so so this for me is the biggest problem this this polarization which i see and i, I i'm alarmed by the polarization which i see and when normally people say polarization they mean you know you know people going in the streets shouting slogans no i see polarization among friends i see polarization among people we went to school with we went to undergrad with i see polarization among people i've known for years and that that they're just unwilling i see people have changed and i'm pretty sure they feel that i've changed too and it's just being as part of these echo chambers and there's an again i i i say this virtually every podcast and then i see another example and i'm shocked again i i i watched one after another one republic tv one ndtv one republic tv one ndtv and it was almost as i was in a in two different universes i couldn't believe they were talking about the exact same thing and i think this is really one of the crisis one of the biggest crisis we face a crisis of truth the fact is that everybody is now free to 
subscribe to their own notion of truth and not and go through life without being challenged that for me is the biggest problem there is no coming back from that there you know one day there will be no modi rahul gandhi or whoever you want will perhaps win power or mamata banerjee or modi will come back these things will happen maybe arvind kejriwal will be prime minister who knows in his fantasy world maybe but these the, the friendships that are broken and the the polarization we see in families among friends these things will not be mended and i keep telling my listeners man politicians will keep on doing politics don't lose your friendship over these kinds of trivialities please all right vikram so let's move on to our picks for the week oh yes before we do that of course we've got our uh, what song contest now yes and and the hint and the hint i'll give you the hint because this is a difficult song okay? i i i will accept this is a difficult song and the the hint for today is amisha patel because i think we need to make it up to her so here's the song <laughs> uh, yeah the, here's the song and the winner from last week though the song last week was tumko hum dilbar from tezab and of course as arnab knows knows this was not a song which was in the original movie it came after maybe 100 days or something the added song which was a trend in those days it was day, it was a trend in those days would, they would get people to watch the movie again and there was another okay. trend so this extra song was not in the vhs tape So okay. when the VHS tape would come out, that song would not be there because this song wasn't there. Aaj na chhodunga tuje dam dama dam was not there. These were all songs which were added. I think the Maine Pyar Kiya, not sure the Maine Pyar Kiya Antakshri song was also, I believe, added later. Not absolutely sure about that, but that was a trend in those days. So adding that 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 extra song for people to come back and watch the movie again, or adding Jankar beats. That was another yeah, that, thing. Yeah, that, that's okay. But I mean, that was okay. I mean, that was like remix, you know. But but this was I I don't know when this went away. I can't remember when was the last time that I that there was a big song which was added. I I guess know. it went away when movies stopped running for hundred days. I mean, what do you celebrate now? Yeah, I think so too. I yeah, I think yeah. I I mean, I mean, none of these songs were great actually. None of those extra no. songs were really big hits, and they were I think really one of the, those things that they would throw away. And, <laughs> right. and then they would add again uh, the winner of course was sharmishta guha and who uh, thanks uh, to him he said he has to, all your books arnab her, and uh, to her sharmishta is a is to, a female I'm name so sorry <laughs> sharmishta i'm so sorry about that uh, so uh, she has all your books and uh, said that she would rather can contribute to the kerala cm's relief fund which we have done so thank you for your generosity and of course you have the song this week you can you can email the response to ap podcast at talkingstuff.net or message us on twitter or edin or send us a mail or either way of course before we sign off arnab you got some entertainment picks for us too yes so this week my entertainment pick is is ghoul now i'm not recommending this okay so normally entertainment picks is like stuff which i want you to watch and i and i know a lot of you lot of my listeners actually watched fauda based on my recommendation and many all of them said they loved it so you know it's, it's always i always feel great when i say something's good and then people agree ghoul is in absolutely my favorite genre of movies so i love uh stories set underground and if you know i've written a book with pretty much that theme it's called the mine it's about strangers in a place where there is no light and bad things happen now this is really one of my favorite genres of movies uh but cool just didn't work for me and i'll i'll split it up into the two reasons why it didn't work for me so let's first take the politics of it aside and again there was no way that you could ignore the politics given that it was so heavy handed and that was my problem it was just too heavy handed but coming back to just everything sounds the politics i'm i'm trying not to give away spoilers but i think you need to know a little bit about it so it's essentially set in a 
in a in a future dystopia where hindu nationalists and and this and this tv and this series does not shy away from again calling hindus as hindus and so hindu nationalists have taken over uh, the country has descended into total chaos uh, this is basically a a fantasy realization of rajdeep sardesai's brain you know this is what i guess they think will happen and it has happened which is okay which is fine um and all in all minorities all dissidents all good people now live in exile or they are being hunted and essentially hindu nationalists are running uh nazi camps to the extent that they're like nazis taking fillings out of people's teeth see this is really my criticism i mean if you want to demonize you know hindu you know hindu right wing you need to draw a line it just i get it but then i don't also so the heavy handedness from the blood i like gore i like and and there's demonic possession and stuff which is all fun but again in trying to be overtly political the three part uh, tv series for netflix i still call it tv series though it's not technically tv it it loses the essence of what good horror should be first of all which is uh show don't tell there is a lot of exposition there's a lot of blood which is good but there's a lot of exposition there's a lot of ham-handed exposition also very amateurish um second there was about seven or eight characters inside that interrogation cell which is underground and what you really wanted was you wanted to know a little bit more about the characters before they were being you know killed i mean you know they're all going to die i mean if, if if you've seen this kind of this genre you know that you know if, if when, when n number of people go down into a closed place uh, pretty sure that most of them are not coming out but in order for you to feel anything in order for you to really feel the horror it's essential for you to connect with at least i mean again if you have a body count of 12 or 20 it's very difficult to make your audience feel for 20 people but at least for three or four people you should be able to make some kind of connection with them but unfortunately everybody who's showing to be there's no other way of saying it everybody's showing to be hindu is just so evil that there's absolutely zero connection that you can have with anyone they're all like different kinds of nazi commandants um the only thing that's left to say is zufura so they, 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 these are there's about as much joy as when the the demon attacks is when you see like cardboard characters being munched so this was lazy characterization there's just overt politics and again you can say or no you don't like the politics that's why no it's not because i don't trust me i when i watched the movie and because this is my favorite genre i tried to put the politics to the side my wife was watching with me couldn't <laughs> but i tried <laughs> to put the politics to the side and just look at it as fantasy but there were just too many too many basic errors in terms of how good horror is constructed how good schlocky horror again i would say this is fairly unique i haven't seen anything in hindi which goes into this level of gore and i understand that this that, that it might be popular because of its novelty again i just feel that most of us have kind of grown up seeing saw and hostel so again it's not particularly novel for us but i presume there might be some people for whom this might be new but for those of you who have seen things in the genre there is absolutely no surprise none though it could have been the basic premise i felt was nice if the politics was a little less or if they tried to be a little bit you know they tried to be and a little bit more balance in terms of its politics if they tried to bring out the humanity of the people if they tried to should bring out some kind of conflict then maybe it would have mattered but at the end when the violence is over it doesn't matter you just feel that you've lost 3 hours of your life that's all not a particularly good recommendation i understand but that was just my review okay my uh, pick of course is on the other end of the spectrum i'm recommending ricky gervais humanity his stand up special on netflix for me i saw this for the second time yesterday 
and i loved it the first time i just wanted to you know rewatch it because i like the way he he constructs his act and by god i think i enjoyed it even more the second time uh, around i don't know arnab did you have a chance to look at uh, to watch uh, the humanity special no the thing is i don't particularly enjoy stand up like, i mean I, I i i think i've mentioned this before i i just uh, find I them it. unfunny i i it's been years that i have i have watched stand up and felt that oh, this was funny i just do, i just avoid it and there's nothing to do with the particular artist i find nobody funny essentially i mean george carlin famously said right i think that he says that it's the duty of comedians to find out where the line is drawn and cross it deliberately yeah. i think ricky does that beautifully in this one i've never honestly speaking even the office uh, sitcom i've not seen ricky's version of it i've seen the american version which i'm yeah, a big fan too. of so uh, this is the first time i've actually seen his uh, full length comedy special and i've become a, a fan i mean highly recommended especially for the people who are easily offended because he is a very offensive com- comedian so uh, that's ricky gervais humanity even that's on netflix uh, does that kind of wrap it up it for does, us this episode it does, it, it does wrap this has been a, like an extended episode because of the interruption and we apologize to our uh, listeners uh, for I, i had no idea when in the connection dropped uh so again um uh, my twitter handle is at greatbong uh my blog is of course greatbong.net um you know you can subscribe to this podcast on your on your favorite favorite podcast apps again please do consider uh please do consider you know becoming a monthly patron for this podcast and i'll see you next week perfect and uh, i'm on uh, twitter at uh, the vikram mohan and uh, the network is on at, uh, at talkingstuffnet and like anup said we are available on all platforms which you do need and you can send in your feedback at appodcast@talkingstuff.net and like i reminded last week we also have the technology podcast called the talking tech podcast run by vinayak and me where every week we discuss news and give out tips and uh, app picks so you can subscribe to that as well so see you uh, in episode 7 until then thanks and bye bye